This is a Media Lab podcast. Oh my god, Dave, how did this how is this guy still on our tail? It's so weird. We stopped a couple times and I thought he passed yeah. us. And he, he is it a he? It? And it keeps It's it's a them, it I think. It just keeps yeah. trying to Oh. Did it just did it just bump our butt? What the hell's going on with this thing? Listen, I am not averse to bumping butts, but in this context, in this context, I'm a little a little nervous on how we blew up an entire planet, maybe by mistake. Eh. The fiction is a little bit iffy on that one, but we blew up an entire planet. He survived that and he's still chasing us. I don't know. What don't did know. we do to piss him off so much? Well, I mean, we did steal half of his diamonds. Mm. We gave half of them back, though. We gave half right? of them back. That's like a olive branch. God, this this deep and rich fiction is just so amazing. <laughs> we're so wrapped up in it. It's almost like we're... Yeah, we're living it, Kyle. It's a lived-in experience. Oh, looks like there's a diner coming up here in five parsecs. Maybe we should pull over when that shows up. Oh, you see that white picket fence? Just make sure you crash yeah. into that to break our fall. On a rinky-dink spaceship headed back to Earth, Kyle and Dave are stuck on board with an evil machine. This giant robot is forcing them to watch films it picks. If they don't obey, then it'll be the end of the world. Again. This is mostly Kyle's fault, but he's not going to face an apocalypse alone, especially not on this ship that seems to be held together with tape and imagination. This is Kyle and Dave versus The Machine. Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. My name is Kyle. And I'm Dave. And I'm The Machine. This is a podcast where a sentient machine was forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse, and then... Another apocalypse happened. Somehow it has used its powers to transport us across time and space. So now we're on our way back to Earth. The machine still threatens our lives if we don't review the films it asks us to. Although we do tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. And today we're going to be watching the film Duel. Well, big thank you to our patrons, Green Girl YYC, and It's a Conspiracy Podcast. Dave, I can't believe it that we have done over 90 episodes of this show, and we have yet to talk about a Mr. Steven Spielberg. Uh, Sir, can you... Who's that again? What was his last name? (laughs) Don Pedro Spielbergo is his name. (laughs) No. You uh, know, the most famous director of all time, perhaps. Like, literally of all time. At least (laughs) least living directors. Uh, I don't currently. know. I think that's a name that uh, every single human yeah. has heard at least once. The weird thing is season one was all about 1999, which hits like right in between, I would say, like two huge Spielberg movies, which is Saving Private Ryan in 1998 and AI in the year 2000. So I blame you. And I'm, I'm the quote-unquote, the machine. machine. Would you rather watch movies or would you like me to push you out the airlock? So... We didn't talk about him in the 90s, which I would say is maybe the height of his powers. <laughs> 80s uh, and the uh, 2000s. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I would say 80s into <laughs> mid 90s. Yeah. Anyone who can make in the same year Schindler's List in Jurassic Park. You're doing okay. Yeah. You're doing okay, you're doing okay at that point. The biggest movie of the year and then the best picture Oscar winner. It's just like, why? Yeah, why not? Let's do both. This is coming like 
very early then into Spielberg's career. I have actually never seen Duel. It's actually one of the very few movies I have not seen of Spielberg. I use the Letterboxd app, of course. So I think there's 28 movies that I have seen of Spielberg. Oh, wow. And it, which is not all of them. Okay, go and name so, them. Go. Oh, God. <laughs> do you want to just bring it up? But I mean, if I could do it in order, it's like uh, Jaws, 1941, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, actually the, the four uh, Indiana Jones movies, e. Jurassic Park 1 and 2, Schindler's List, Hook, uh, AI, Minority e. Report, Catch Me If You Can, The Terminal, yeah. Munich, yeah. Lincoln, The BFG, Ready Player One, all those like, new stuff. The I Post, didn't watch BFG. Uh, that's not even putting like E.T. E.T. Yeah. is in there, of course. So like, I mean, this guy's a big, 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 big name, but I haven't watched a lot uh, of his like early, early work pre-Jaws. Dave, what is your history with Steven Spielberg? Which sounds ludicrous to ask. Yeah, but, like, What is your history with Spielberg? Grew up with his movies, so his vision of reality informs my vision of reality, I think, at least mm. visually and narratively, I suspect. I've never heard of this movie because, uh, yeah, I'm not a film historian, so... Really, it's interesting. you've never heard of this movie? No, that's the interesting oh. thing. Like, I think we've all sort of heard of THX, probably because George Lucas made it into a company. Sure. Um, but I, I, I just thought, you know, maybe Jaws was his first film. I don't know much about his life pre that film. So this is exciting. I had no idea that this is going to be a Spielberg film. I only knew it by name. And I do know, like, what it is about generally, which is like a giant truck. That's about as much as I know about this movie going into it. I think it's interesting because when Jaws gets released, and if you watch any documentaries about it, like, a lot of people almost, without outright saying it, refer to that as his first film. And it's not. He had been working in television, had made a few made-for-TV movies. Uh, Jaws is actually his third theatrically released movie. But a lot of people kind of think of it like, oh, that's when Spielberg started and then like the huge wave that happened after that and how that changed Hollywood on how summer blockbusters were both marketed and released and, and considered. It, it's hard to even consider a world where Spielberg is not this huge giant name, mm -hmm. right? Because I was born in 1983, the year after E.T. So I have never existed in a world where yeah, Spielberg true. is not like this giant name in movies, whether executive producer, director, whatever it happens to be. He is the zeitgeist. Yeah. Yeah. As far as talking about like present day Spielberg, something that I noticed after I watched Ready Player One, which, <laughs> and I, like, I'm not like the biggest fan of that movie. I um, liked it. And, the book is a mess. I read the book. Oh yeah. The book is a mess too. But yeah. I mean, uh, the big thing about that movie specifically that I was noticing is that he's, he's this, I guess, elderly statesman of Hollywood. He's been around for so long at this time, uh, by this point. And at the same time, even in like the big, ridiculous, over-the-top action sequences, the way that he is able to frame shots so I still understand what is happening is pretty remarkable. There's a chase scene that happens in that, like a car chase scene, and there is things literally happening all over the screen. But I know in the reality of that world where that car is where the person that they're chasing after is what is happening and things lead into each other in such a sequential w way that i find and this is such like an old man yells at cloud problem i find that a lot of other whether it's big budget uh, blockbusters or even like newer directors coming onto the scene still have not locked into that like 
how to frame something so that visually things are making sense the way that Spielberg is able to do. Yeah, there's that movement. I mean, uh, we, we sort of people watch a lot of martial arts movies talk about this with the old, you know, like let's say Jackie Chan films where there is an intent to choreograph and frame the action Mm -hmm. sequences so that you actually know who's punching who in the face at what time. And during the late 90s, there was this new movement, just like in filmmaking, that uh, shaky cam and rubbing, you know, a camera into somebody's face was a more (laughs) real and gritty way to express what was happening in real life. And it's bullshit because I don't go to a theater to throw up. I uh, go to a theater to watch a story. I, I do enjoy throwing up sometimes. <laughs> you love that smell, the bile in a, in a theater. <laughs> uh, I, and yeah, Does we this are, smell like urine and throw up? I'm in the right place. And butter, and old rotting <laughs> the old, butter. Old rotting butter. <laughs> I'm actually going to throw up right now. Um, may, yeah, maybe we're old and we just- I think so. <laughs> we want films to make sense. You see that actually with some of the new or with independent directors, they don't shoot with that sort of operatic and cinematic scope that this generation of directors use. Like they they love this wide, wide panoramic feel so that everything feels larger than life. But a lot of the independent directors that I like uh, understand how to use, let's say, a digital video camera, whatever equipment they're using and still compose a scene where I know where I am. I know who's talking. I know what's happening. I just watched... A Paper Tigers, this like super indie film with these old marsh. That was really fun to watch. I mean, that's not going to win any awards, but that's someone who grew up watching old Jackie Chan and Sammo Hung and all these like classic comedy uh, kung fu movies because no matter what's happening, no matter how tight the action sequence have to be, you know exactly where you are. I do make fun of uh, Paul Greengrass or the fucking asshole's name, but it exists well before that guy came on screen and ruined the Bourne trilogy. I think, I don't know what it is, Kyle. Everybody wants to be confused right now. And, and we just, we see that in, in every aspect of our lives. People like a mess and I don't understand why. You used to be cool and now you're not. That's why. Well, I, <laughs> this is going to come across as super gatekeepy, as if I'm gatekeeping the uh, film industry. Well, that's why we have a podcast. That's why people listen I, to I, us, Kyle, because we're right. <laughs> I honestly don't mean it that way, but when you take a look at, even if you went way back in time, like Orson Welles or Steven Spielberg, or even like a David Fincher, if we're going to take a a person even younger than Spielberg is, there was this obsession that they had of like watching old films. What makes these work? How can I replicate that in a style that is unique to me? That takes some time, of course, to get your own style. But there are these fundamentals that they understand how to use and also when and if they want to break them. And it is my feeling that with a painting with a huge broad brush here, because now essentially anyone can go out and make a film as materials are becoming a lot less expensive. The the entry point into filmmaking is a lot lower than what it used to be. And I understand that there's a lot of like asterisks there of like what actually gets released in the theaters, et cetera, et cetera. But because those doors have been blown open, it doesn't feel like people are doing the same level of like looking in the past. And this is something I run up into all the time. Like we've had guests on this show who are younger than us, like a generation younger than we are. And people that I talk to and film boards that I go to and that there seems to be this resistance to be like, you know what? Anything pre... I'll just mm. put a number up pre-1980. I'm yeah. not interested and I don't even want to engage with it. 
at the detriment of being like, well, like they learned all these things 80 years ago. Why are we still making this mistake then in 2021? Why are we underexposing film? Why are we having things blocked weird? Why are we breaking the, these certain rules, quote unquote, that we have in filmmaking that allow the audience to be guided through the story? And so like, well, just make a shot. Let's go. Okay, now on to the next thing and be like, God, what the hell is going on here? Again, exceptions to every rule, but I find like by and large, that's what I keep running into is like, how was this released <laughs> into theaters when I feel like the, there's easy problems that could have been fixed? I don't know. Uh, you know me, I mean, Kyle knows me personally on this matter, but I think it comes across. I hate social media and I hate mm -hmm. what the communication tools we have now are. And I think there's a diffusion to our detriment as a society uh, with this lower cost of entry. And it's weird because we want to believe as a society that everybody should have equal access. It's this socialist problem. Everybody should have equal <laughs> equal access to everything. But the reality is, uh, or the functional reality, is that not everybody should have access. And that's such a judgmental thing. But there are a lot of people, like for example, if you're in a film board and nobody wants to acknowledge the history of film, that's a problem. If I'm like talking to a, a so-called Instagram influencer, fucking assholes, and they don't believe anything exists before 2010, fine. Because the social media didn't exist before 2010. But if you watch movies, and you want to disavow anything that's not shot in color, or you think that shooting at 60 frames per second is the only thing you'll watch on your shitty television, then you shouldn't be in film. But there's a diffusion and a breaking apart of narrative structures. And I, I for one, want to watch a story, you know? I, I think we had this thing, I think it was when Ben was on, that you and one of our guests was talking about how a film doesn't necessarily need a narrative and it can just be yeah. about a process. Or maybe somebody else. It doesn't matter. I don't. I, and I. I think at that time too, I didn't buy into that. I. This is why I don't like Wong Kar Wai that much. I think he makes his cinematographer and his DP make beautiful films, but I. I want to be invested in a story, uh, even if it's trite. I, I, I straddle that line a little bit, and this is almost going to go against what I led up this conversation to. Every film is going to be a unique thing, and yes, some films are like quote-unquote like a tone poem on like an idea and like narrative isn't the most important thing i agree with story fundamentally like 90 percent of the things that i'd like to watch probably even like 95 percent of the things i like to watch like yeah i want to be invested in their journey through the story doesn't mean i have to like the main character does it doesn't doesn't mean it has to be grounded in reality i just want to be brought along in the story that this filmmaker is telling in this in this uh, specific way just to quickly reiterate what you were saying I, I i think that narrative is important i think that plot is sometimes focused on way too much which is like this happens which then this happens which then this happens and like sure that is we can talk about that but it's so interesting that our podcast very rarely talks about plot in our in our conversations about films where it has the vast majority of youtube that is all it is it's all about like what actually happens in this movie is that good or bad here's my cinema grade and i just don't really care <laughs> at the end of the day it's like did it move me did it do this thing did it elicit an emotion great that's what i want to talk about and what it's trying to grapple with rather than it's like point a leads to b leads to c by the way all those people are so much more successful than us so like obviously we're the ones who are wrong <laughs> yeah maybe uh, but you know i i've talked about this coding problem uh what does success mean uh, it would be nice if we could get 
money and fame and notoriety. But what is success? It's it's poisonous. And the other thing is this uh, industrialist rigor of like, so plot, for example, we believe that we're supposed to be rational and everything has to be as dried and as uh, measurable as possible, but human beings don't actually function that way. And so you and I may disagree, particularly in 71, but what movies we like and we don't like, but at the very least, both of us like watching movies. And right, right, right. I, I suspect the reason why I hate professional, modern professional critics is I don't get a sense that any of them actually enjoy watching movies at all. I mm. feel like they have a job, they get paid, uh, presumably, but their whole shtick is to try to um, sit down and break something apart as much as possible so they can get the quickest soundbite, the most controversial one, and to stand out in a, in a sea of fucking twi Twitter posts, right? I mean, how many critics are there now? Thousands, hundreds well, of thousands. Not, I mean, I, you would I, you'd probably have to break it down to how many are being paid and how many aren't and et cetera, still, et cetera. But it's not... I think you still need to read better critics, but I think you're right by and large where I do get the sense from some people who get famous on YouTube, Twitter, et cetera. It's like, do you... But do you like anything? <laughs> uh, okay. Not that you have to give like a glowing review to everything either, but it's just like, you haven't even liked the good stuff. So like, wh where are we? <laughs> where are we at with this? Just, yeah, there's, I, I mean, you brought up that uh, Ebert says this, but you have to be in a different mode. Like I, I, I'm supposed to be able to watch Step Brothers and yeah. pee myself laughing, but also watch Schindler's List and be moved by mm -hmm. every aspect, both, you know, as a visual storytelling, but also, of course, the brutal narrative of what happened during the uh, Holocaust. And I should be allowed to do both. And I don't think people are letting that happen. Succumb to the hate. It's better that way. Bringing it back here then, I'm excited to like jump into seeing what Duel is like. We've now seen in 1971, weirdly, a handful of people like this was their first movie that they actually made theatrically. So I want to see where it kind of like hits into right. that grouping and how this fits into, I don't know, the broader 1971 context. So Spectrum. let's go and thank some sponsors, Dave. And then when we come back, we'll be talking a little bit more about Duel. Are you an aggressive driver? Yes. Next question. <laughs> How comfortable? See, I've, I've been in cars before where people are comfortable riding someone uh, behind them. Oh, wow. And, and like you could like almost like their what license kind of plate disappears. Oh, yeah. And that scares me so much. It's like, I need two car lengths. I need two car lengths between me and the person in front of me. Two is a lot. But yeah, if you can't read the license plate of the car in front of you, you need to see a psychiatrist. Right. So I guess why I'm bringing this up, Dave, is that the other spaceship in front of us, um, uh, we cannot see their license plate. So maybe we want to just back off a little bit. I'm just amazed that we happen to run into another spaceship in the infinite world of space. The fact itself. that we're going the speed of light and are riding them this hard is, is pretty frightening. I just feel like you need to take all these sound bites, Kyle and transfer them into a different type of podcast for yourself. But, uh, you know, let's just, maybe I'm just projecting something here. They have a sweet, sweet can. <laughs> I love their sweet, sweet can. Look at those, uh, what do you call those uh, truck nuts? <laughs> <laughs> no one knows what that is. It's a very Alberta thing that people want to hang <laughs> lifelike testicles from the back of their truck. <laughs> Yahoo! I saw a movie at the Calgary International Film Festival that was basically that. Woman had sex with a car and then gave birth. It was, it was a weird movie. It won a con. It won a can. 
you know, Kylan Day versus the Machine, of course, is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. The Alberta like Podcast Network nuts. promotes, like Truck Nuts, just like Truck Nuts, the Alberta Podcast Network promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. This week, Dave, we are sponsored by ATB, specifically, specifically the Future of Podcast, which is hosted by a Mr. Todd Hirsch. Have you? Do you know that person? No. Well, you should. He is ATB Financial's Vice President and Chief Economist. Oh, Todd. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Toddy H. We know him. We go back. The Future of Podcast has launched its second season. I actually think it did that a few months ago. But this ad copy tells me that they have just launched their second season. By connecting with industry leaders to uncover what's on the horizon for the things that mean the most to you. What means the most to you, Dave? Finance. I, I'm very interested in chief economies. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, they'll talk about that for sure on the podcast. And the future of promises to give you those insights to help navigate what is often an uncertain future. You can explore how our economy and communities can not only brace for change, but embrace the opportunities it creates. You can subscribe to the future of in the Apple Store. Google Play, Spotify, and everywhere podcasts are found, including just, you know, toss loosely on the tabletop. You know, podcasts are everywhere nowadays. And you connect with them at atb.com slash the future of. What is a slash and when is it a backslash? We're about to watch horror uh, movies. I mean, give me some insight here. Well, I mean, a slash is a slash, man. <laughs> I think the backslash depends on whether it is to the left or to the right. And a backslash is like the, the point that's da- furthest down is to the left. I'm just thinking back to all the uh, the dick jokes earlier. And now we're asking which way it's hanging. Did that happen earlier? <laughs> oh, yeah, it did. We've, we've, we're not recording a bunch of these at once. We, we I totally know what's going on. A deep and rich fiction. Well, speaking of uh, a lot of podcasts, let me tell you about one of our newer members here at the Alberta Podcast Network. They have a podcast called The Breakfast Dish. And no, Ooh. it's not about brunch places. This is a oh, podcast. Be. That would be. I, there are a lot of brunch places in Calgary. I need to know right now where the best Eggs Benedict is. Mm. How do you like your poach? Honestly, this is this gets me off, Dave. Is <laughs> <laughs> not in that way. I'm just Whatever saying, you were talking about, a car know, sex movie. Let's do it. Who wets? Who wets my whistle? The way that if you just you just lightly poke it, you lightly poke it with your knife, and it like spurts out the yellow Jesus yolk. Christ. I hope you keep all of this. Am I being too too sexual for you, Dave? Not for me, but I'm just waiting for us to get censored here. It's great. I was listening to this movie podcast and I got like rock hard while listening to their (laughs) ad copy. It's weird. Uh, Anyways, talk to me about this (laughs) podcast from the Alberta Podcast Network. So we've got, we, because we are also part of this network. The Royal We, yeah. Have invited, no, we have a new partner, we have a new relative, what's the right, there's a new podcast called The Breakfast Dish. It's hosted by Griffin Cork and his mom, Karen Johnson Diamond. And every Monday morning, they're going to talk about dance, music, visual art, theater, and they also have get to know you conversations with those artists behind the work. Are we going to run the uh, pre-prepped recording? Yeah, we're going to run a little a pre-written stuff. So you'll, you'll hear more no, about that. Talking. Just re- Just know that I am, of course covered in yolk we're gonna get kicked out of the podcast network Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> they're like you guys are getting a little too loose 
There's some fetish site for that somewhere, I'm sure. <laughs> this is not a conversation a that I thought I would no, be having with my mother on the breakfast Let's not dish. talk about fetish. It's too late. It's in. I'm not, I'm not editing it. I've been operating under the misguided notion that Scooby-Doo was a piece of shit. When I first met Daddy, oh, he was trying to man, convince one second. me. I'm going to put a nix on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will stand for mommy. I will not stand for dad. <laughs> Do you guys ignore your other guests for this long a period? We have now clearly divided the lines of this podcast. <laughs> Two perverts and me and Karen. <laughs> Speaking of cocaine, we'd like to thank our supporters. Hi, I'm Griffin. Hi, I'm Griffin's mommy, Karen. Okay, well, I'm the Bubby, and we host The Breakfast Dish on the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Karen, what do we, what do we friggin' do? What do we friggin' do? We friggin' celebrate and highlight and amplify all the online art that is happening. If it's socially distanced, if it's art you can see online, I want to walk through your gallery virtually. I want to hear your music. I want to watch your play. You can hear about it on The Breakfast Dish. All right, frankly, that was too much cursing. And also, you can find The Breakfast Dish anywhere you get your podcasts or you can head to albertapodcastnetwork.com watch your language this has been the breakfast dish all right dave well we just finished watching duel so hit me what are your impressions on spielberg's quote-unquote first movie you want you want me to hit you where (laughs) i uh i i really liked it i mean it's uh problematic because everything in the 70s feels like uh uh, you know, a different budget and a different yeah. style, but I, I was tense, man. It was, uh, <laughs> it's done really well. It's, uh, it's the, uh, it's the, uh, Fury Road of 1971. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I was thinking it's straw cars, you know, there's this, <laughs> there's this. There's sense- actually a scene that actually happens in this movie. That's exactly the same that happens in straw dogs. Yeah. This is them waving the car around and almost getting run off the road. Yeah. There's a, there's a sense of whatever's going on in seven. And you know what the, uh, so whatever's going on 71 that's creating the impetus to make stories of this nature these thriller psychological problematic ethical issues but it's also modern because i I loved at the beginning when he's listening to the radio show and the guy's calling in about how he's emasculating he's a house husband and i'm like oh yeah i i know what that uh, self-talk's like and uh you know we i think in the 90s that was a big big issue because there was a period where, you know, uh, patriarchy and the man earns the money and the, you know, the madman thing, the women supposed to stay home and wear pretty dresses. And I remember the nineties and two thousands, that was really starting to fall apart because uh, women are apparently, Kyle, intelligent, capable, right? They can do everything a man can do. Who knew? <laughs> I feel like I'm supposed to be like, what? <laughs> the cost- Women though, are people? The capitalist cost of all this, I've been talking to Helen, is uh, capitalist work environments are serfdom. You trade your life and your time for something, money, apparently. But isn't so, that what this movie is about, Dave? It is a little bit, but that's why it's it's got a great uh, feeling to it because I know what this guy is like. I've been in road rage incidents and I've uh, I've done really- brutal things i didn't get to drive a truck though otherwise i probably would have gone to jail but it it is a fascinating thing to take part in this is one of those things like for those of you who may have not ever seen this movie we have dennis weaver the actor who's basically the only actor in this for the majority of it it's really just him but like pulls around this big like semi-truck and then the rest of the movie is that semi-truck stalking him on the road. This is like my, one of my greatest fears that this is going to happen to me, by the way. Like, I'm going to make some dumb move or pass the wrong person. And then they're going to, like, run me off the road and kill me. For some reason, when I was growing up in, as a teenager, 
I think it has since been proven this is like an urban legend. It's not actually true. But my parents said, it's like, you know what? You have to be careful on back roads and like not flash your lights at somebody who's oncoming who hasn't brought down their high beams, which is a thing you do in the country. If someone doesn't have their still has their high beams on, you flash yep. them a few times. I do. It's that. like mm-hmm. because there's gangs out there who will turn around and actually kill you for doing that. They <laughs> try awesome. and find a victim every night. And so I was like terrified about this when i started driving that this was going to happen to me it's like i'm never going to flash anyone never even if their high beams are like right in my face the entire time it sounds like your parents watched a lot of movies from 1971 maybe (laughs) but what i'm also uh, struck by for this movie is one if i hadn't known this was a spielberg movie i would be like boy there feels like there's some spielbergisms in this movie while i was watching just the way that they're framed again action scenes that i understand everything that's happening really focusing tight some little flourishes like uh photographing it like through the open um washer door window thing so it frames them in like that interesting circle the tension that's built like he would i think perfect this in jaws where it's like you never see the threat coming but you eventually are uh, uh surrounded by it my last relationship felt like that by the way dave you're losing your edge you're you've now given a positive review like twice in the last three weeks so <laughs> um people are gonna start to question like oh my gosh does dave actually like is things okay? now and it's gonna, another it's confession? Gonna ruin the dynamic of this show but uh the, the the movie actually that i wanted to compare it to it's gonna sound weird when i first bring it up but is escape from the planet of the apes only in this whereas i think the apes movie is full of like really fascinating cool ideas but is like really cheaply and not very interestingly made. Whereas Duel, I don't really think has anything to say. It's 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 really just a big truck chasing a small car movie. Like that's all this is. But it's filmed in such an incredibly interesting way. And when we talk about budget, you're going to be shocked at how much this was made for. Like such a low budget movie that doesn't feel like a low budget movie. So it's like they're the two opposite sides of the coin. Where it's like, hey, uh, when you get like this really uh, great filmmaker into something that like on the page probably didn't like dazzle people but can make something out of it versus something that's filled with so much interesting stuff but it's such a flat experience when you do watch it it's like you really have to be taken by what they're talking about because otherwise visually there's nothing happening in that movie that's interesting well roddy mcdowell's wearing a rubber mask that is true that is true i the only thing i mean i agree i I think the one thing i will disagree i suppose is that i don't think this movie is not saying something i think that Apes and movies of that nature are trying to go for something broad and social and outside of themselves. Like Billy Jack is trying to take on, you know, social injustice with bare feet. And it's just how that (laughs) works. This movie takes a wide, broad visual and directs it inside an individual's mind. And this way, this movie for me successfully uses voiceover. At first, it was a little jarring the first time he's thinking to himself. But I got really into it because, like Straw Dogs, this is a movie about testing a person's breaking point. And mm-hmm. uh, it is fascinating to watch this build up both into sort of uh, microaggression, aggression, then fear, panic, relief. I mean, there are very str- strong writing in it because you see this roller coaster of emotion. I mean, you're right. It's on the surface just a quote unquote thrill ride, right? Yeah. Um, but it stands above schlocky, paper-thin action movies because it uh, it is asking a question of the audience, like, what would you do in this situation? 
I mean, halfway through, I was like, why didn't he just turn around and go home? But he can't anymore. Well, He's honestly, committed. that is literally me. It's like, <laughs> I would, I'd just be going back home at this point. Who cares about this client? Like, just leave, just call him on the phone. Like, the, so sorry, I got a flat tire and like, the wife couldn't knew. make it. A classic, yeah. right? The wife's like, what are you even doing this for? But Which, by the way, I also was trying to figure it out. Because it's, so he's going to that client and he says he's going to be back home for dinner for sure. I'm guessing it was only supposed to like a three hour trip there and a three hour trip back or something. Because he's driving for so long for this to be like a quick drive to to get these papers signed that he needs to have signed. The movie is only 90 minutes and that's yeah. what it feels like driving in the backcountry of Alberta. Is that yes, you've does. been driving for like five hours and it's been 20 minutes because everything looks exactly the same. <laughs> that's true it's true it, it's also interesting again bringing the spielberg the spielbergness into this which is like the his two 70s movies that are like the highest regarded which is this and jaws both are kind of schlocky b movies that he's able to elevate into something more than that because it's like i don't know it's just because of his filmmaking style what he's interested in it's like let's make this better because if you read the book jaws the book is not good like that book is not good uh but he's able to make something a little bit more special out of, out of that source material this is why steven spielberg is special and david fincher is special like there are certain generational talented quote-unquote auteurs even kubrick as perverted as he turns out to become are special because they are uh masters of visual storytelling and so we see that here. Duel is apparently supposed to have been made for, it was originally made for TV. Here's a film that has really cheesy source material. I mean, this is like a diary entry yeah. for me. Today, I, I, this is true. When I was a much angrier person, I chased the guy for 40 minutes in Toronto, which is insane. I should be in jail. Wait, you chased someone yeah. for 40 minutes? Why? Uh, I, I used to be a very angry person. I know oh, it comes off be. as cynical. Okay. No, I, I had problems in my youth. And, uh, and so like, this is the thing where everybody experiences this. If you're driving a car in some part of your life, you're going to be upset at somebody because they're going to do something that threatens your safety or it doesn't follow a rule that you believe should be a, it doesn't matter. There's something. And so that's really weak to start because <laughs> just like, yeah, everybody has road rage. Yeah. And then you read the story and like, okay, there's a ghost truck that's going to murder a guy. Like this yeah, is such yeah, a yeah. stupid thing. But Spielberg seems to be this type of guy who goes, you know. I can work with that. There's something there. I can make but this what big. If, but what if that ghost truck had feelings? What if <laughs> A little was... bit, right? I mean, he helps the uh, the ghost truck helps the school bus to get going. I mean, there's some right. weird stuff where you realize how personal and cruel the story actually is. It's not just a random actual ghost truck that haunts, you know, Route 66. This is, mm -hmm. we don't know if he's a human being, but this creepy, rusty gasoline truck that uh, has declared a vendetta that no matter what happens, he will torture this man to death. He's not even trying to kill him, right? He could have killed him several times. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. He is toying with this guy. Yeah, it's kind of like it's a serial killer just toying with a victim before the ultimate, like, push you off into the train or something like that. Which he does try. He does, he does try. try and do. Uh, he has a lot of horsepower because he's able to fend it off by going good in reverse. Breaks. You know, in the 70s, those station wagons, good brakes. Good oh, no, not a station uh, By wagon, the way, though. I think this was before power steering yes I think so that i mean like that's hard to control a vehicle they start to get go out of control like you're trying to wrench it back and forth i remember the first time i drove a car without power steering i was shocked i was like yeah, oh you gotta like work you are turning, turning yeah, you gotta work turning. on this thing yeah I, kids these days kyle they don't know no they idea. don't get it yeah they don't get it's it it's just like what i was told like 
kids like kids now have no idea what you mean when you do like the roll down yeah. your window maneuver because like what do you what what are you doing what the or hell do a phone you, call yeah yeah the finger this tells you you're old because now kids yeah. hold their palm to their face like this yeah idiots yeah what dummies um <laughs> by the way this is just as a a complete side tangent here which is based what this podcast is say, at this it's point it's not a change yeah, no i am the person who feels so ashamed for like two days if I do something dumb in traffic, like I accidentally cut somebody off or I have to slam on my brakes that I wasn't paying attention. I want someone to create an invention, just like a little LED light or something that I could put on my back window that said like, sorry, fucked up. That was me. That was me. That was totally on me. <laughs> I'd say that would dispel a lot of road rage because at least the person from like, that was that was on me. I did this. I, I did it dumb right well, there. In the old days, when I was learning how to drive, that's what the hand up was and people don't do that i mean calgary's better than toronto but calgary's starting to tighten up there's a lot of more aggressive driving over the last mm -hmm. 10 years here people are stressed out but that used to set me off if somebody cut me off or did a quick lane change and they didn't thank me i used to fucking chase them for 40 minutes <laughs> yes no seriously i had problems a lot of or a lot of rage uh, and rage is just fear. <laughs> well, I'm not so. going to the bank today, then. I'm after this guy for the next well, <laughs> two that days. Night, I'm pretty sure someone else was in my car. I it was one of my breaking points. So why I uh, had to change my life. I did it once with Emerson in the car. He was one. Yeah, this oh. uh, got into a duel with a pickup truck who tried to two foot stop me on McLeod, and uh, I fucking lost my mind. And then I realized <laughs> uh, I had a one year old in the back car. At back, I was crying after. Because I yeah. put my son's life in. But that's who I used to be, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. So this movie really strikes so a chord. It's, this, uh, this makes a lot more sense when you, uh, as you've been piloting the ship here for us, like you get really <laughs> upset at the smallest things. Uh, well, actually, that's Fucking space that dust? God that, damn it. That is true, actually. Uh, that is how I operate. Anyways, going back to this thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of things I want to bring up here to, to discuss, but let, let's do some of this backstory here first, and then we can go into my notes that I wrote down. Uh, Duel was released on November 13th, 1971. It is currently rated 7.6 on IMDb. Uh, there is no rating currently on Metacritic. But over on Rotten Tomatoes, from 43 critics, it's at 88%. And from 25,000 plus users, it's at 84%. There is a DVD or Blu-ray copy you can buy. Uh, you can buy or rent this on iTunes, and you can also buy or rent this on YouTube. Dave, we'll learn here in a moment, but yes, this was initially made for TV and then given a theatrical release. Its budget was $450,000. Amazing. I think that is gobsmackingly small Genius. i was i was actually yeah. pretty shocked at that number i'm like wait what we've seen movies made for like two plus million dollars that look dog shit yeah. compared to this movie yeah. that was made for four hundred fifty thousand dollars. uh i don't know what it made though in theaters there's no information on that doesn't matter he became spielberg yeah that's what it is. this really was his launching pad uh its plot description is a business commuter is pursued and terrorized by the malevolent driver of a massive tractor trailer it stars dennis weaver as david mann and i guess there's two other people jacqueline scott as mrs mann she doesn't even get a first name no and eddie firestone as cafe owner oh yeah he did have a, a bit of a part get yeah, I, on uh, out of here uh, get on out of here uh i remember listening do you know who steven tobolowski is no You'll know him best from the movie Groundhog Day as a Ned Ryerson. He's the guy who gets punched in the face. Okay. 
So character actors have been in a ton of TV movies over the years. I was listening to an interview with him once, and he had this great breakdown, which is like, as a working actor, you get your scripting, like, you know, like, this is one of those ones, or that's one of these ones. Like, I understand, like, what my role is in this. The order of, like, care that you have to give to a role, okay, is it just an occupation? then you don't have to care much about it, right? Like, so cafe owner, I'm not giving a name. I can't even make a backstory. I'm just cafe owner. Second best, though, is if you get a last name. So Mrs. Man. Okay, so I'm, I'm married to someone. I can create a little bit of backstory. I can create something here. But the most is if I get a first and a last name. Mm. Then, okay, now we're talking. Now like I have to work. put a little bit of extra work into this because someone's taking the time to actually give this character a name. So I like that these three people could run the gamut of those. That's when you go method. You're like, what does it mean to be a David man? Who is I David? Mean, it's such a writer <laughs> thing. Cause it's like, David, yeah, that's a strong name. And he's a man. So <laughs> David man. <laughs> There's no more Davids. Honestly, my, uh, my time has passed. When I was growing up, yeah. there were a lot of Davids, but yeah. it's over. Nah, da- no one cares about Davids and you only name your kid Kyle. Ugh. You took the words right out of my mouth. If I had a mouth. Anything you want to say about any of these actors, by the way? No, I mean, Dennis Weaver, it's funny. When I was watching it, I thought it was the dad from growing, uh, no, from uh, Family Ties. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, not at all. No. But- no, Dennis Weaver, at this point in his career, like he definitely worked in, he actually worked on Touch of Evil with Orson Welles. We yes. brought him up already. Um, but for TV audiences, he was on like Gunsmoke. 10 seasons or something of Gunsmoke, yeah, which I have to say I've only seen like two episodes i think of gunsmoke in my entire life even though it ran for 20 years on television uh so people had known him from that and i think he had just started his own series called mcleod a couple of years before this uh, a show i have never seen but only know the name of no i never heard of it i thought you were going to bring up that he was on the simpsons which i thought was funny yeah he was parodying his gunsmoke, gunsmoke character. character of course that's why you but know that about was gunsmoke. like in god 2000 two or something Come like on, that, that give me that. the episode number god i don't know that no whatever I, you're just hiding it now because you're embarrassed uh, i think what's interesting the only interesting thing about this guy was he was an eco nut and the thing that i don't think he coined it but he built a custom eco house in the 80s and he called it Earthship. and lately huh. there's a big push for creating Earthships, which are sound just like his house which is you find a derelict either foundation or piece of land or something and you use only recycled and upcycled materials uh, to create essentially a kind of a communist colony um, that you mm. can grow your own food and have like-minded hippies kind of join you on this weird quest to to just not harm the earth. But he you can get like five something. people before that totally implodes on itself. Uh, but. So, yeah, fifty, seventy. Okay, there's a number sociologically. And the other thing that I didn't know because uh, nobody cares, but he apparently led a uh, uh, a not a cavalcade. What do you call it? A motorcade of electronic or non-oil-consuming yeah. vehicles across the U.S. for uh, you know climate change. Something nobody heard of it because uh, when what 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 two thousand and oh two thousand something. He died uh, in two thousand six. So I, I didn't put a name. I didn't look too deeply on the specific year, but I think it was probably it says two thousand. I thought like electric vehicles are only those like millennials and generation z's there's, trying to take money from the evil oil companies there's a documentary i can't remember what it's called but how uh electric cars were possible in like yeah. the mid 80s 
and yeah. they were destroyed by the oil industry. I mean, who knew that the oligarchs who own all of the oil in the world, who are not even trillionaires, but uncounted would take aliens, a vested interest to squat anything. <laughs> yeah, would protect their investment. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Who knew? Well, <laughs> this was written by Richard Matheson based on his own short story directed by Steven Spielberg. Dave, do you remember talking about Richard Matheson? Yeah, he wrote uh, the source novel of a piece of shit we watched this year too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wrote the story I Am Legend, which has been adapted a few times, but specifically for the Omega Man that we've already talked about here this year. Sorry, I just, I knew I'd have to throw something at you because... Uh... <laughs> you, you had to bring that that classic caustic nature of David Yun. You, you know, it's it has like to be here every episode. Made of lie, apparently. So... This story started way back in 1963. That's when the uh, first germ of this idea happened. It was in 1963, November 22nd to be exact. Does that ring a bell for you, that date? November 22nd, 1963? No. That was the day that President Kennedy was assassinated. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Matheson was driving home from playing golf, was hearing about this on the radio, and this tractor trailer was just like on his bumper the entire way. Like basically trying to force him off the road. So he's like, oh, there's a story here. <laughs> so he tries to sell this idea. Like he didn't write down anything. He just wanted to like, hey, here's my idea. You should do this to basically every anthology TV show that was on the air at that point. And all of them said, no, <laughs> they, they didn't want to do it. So he's like, okay, fine. I, I'm, I'm thinking about this idea too much. It's time to just put pen to paper. I'm going to write it. And so he writes this short story called Duel, and it's published in Playboy magazine. Ooh. Hef. Remember when, remember when they mattered? I, yeah, I, I just write it for the articles, of course. Yeah. yeah. Simultaneously here, Steven Spielberg is just starting his career. His whole life is going to be a weird pivot, but there is an importance to it. His whole life was shaped by the Holocaust. Even though born in Cincinnati, Ohio, his grandparents were Ukrainian Jewish people. And he talks about how his parents would bring up the Holocaust like literally all the time. Like his dad specifically lost between 16 and 20 relatives. So he has this story that he's internalizing growing up. His dad is an electrical engineer. So it was like into computers and electronics like very early on in his life. Fascinating. Is also, that, is why that a he's theme like, that comes out in his films later? <laughs> well, a little bit. Like he loves video games, and I think you can actually sort of tell that in some of his filmmaking. Uh, his dad worked for RCA um for a while and he is then soon using that like that electronic stuff in his house but also wowed by the power of film so he talks about how he'd go to his local theater every saturday specifically though it was the release of lawrence of arabia in 1962 that he says set me on my journey i think he would have been 13 or something like that in 1962. <laughs> Anyways, he was young to go and see Lawrence of Arabia, but he sat there for four hours and it changed his life. Well, there's an intermission. Also, an intermission. This, is, this is to my point, just quickly, we talk about box office returns, but I really want to know what it costs a kid to watch a movie every Saturday. Because if we transfer, uh, try to translate that into tickets, I suspect that more people were watching movies back then than they are now. Uh, I mean, yes, it's not 15 think... bucks. I can hardly afford to go to see a theater right now. Well, there's two things in that. Yes, I think, I forget what year it is, but it's like like way earlier than most people think. Like the biggest year for like total number of people who went and saw a movie is like in 1937 or something like that. Like it's really super early <laughs> and it's basically been lower and lower and lower. In fact, 
they just did a thing here recently. So the number of screens from the year 1999 until now has like almost doubled in the United States. And the amount of people who have gone and seen a movie has dropped by like 100,000 people. <laughs> so even with more screens, not more people are actually going and watching movies. From what I know too, though, like that $15 or $14 that you're going to see a movie here in Calgary with inflation is pretty similar to what it was like 30 something years ago. It's just that with inflation, like everything else costs more. So it's like, yes, it's the same with inflation, but like when your mortgage is like 10 times more than what it used to be 40 years ago, and this is more expensive than this, that's a lot more money to go and ask of people. Yeah. Maybe I'm bitter because it's very expensive to exist in Canada. I think there's yeah. a stat. It's like, it's just not living costs are not uh, in line with income in this country, Correct. even though it's supposedly a good country to live in. But I don't want to pay 15 bucks to see a movie. That's why I stream. I'd rather spend 15 bucks a month and get thousands of movies, even if they're lower quality. So. Both uh, Landmark and Cineplex are bringing up their little deal here where you can pay a monthly fee and go and watch uh, As four many... movies a month or something oh, like that. like in the theaters? Yeah. You know, that. I mean, not that I would commit to that, but that is a strategy they should have uh, done pursued. years ago. Yeah. Like a club, yeah. a movie club. You would be president of that by now, <laughs> I think. Well, I have to get back to Earth here first, Dave. All right. We're so, his, so his family, this is Spielberg again. So when his family <laughs> moves to California, he would go and try and sneak onto movie sets, uh, which he was successful, which he was successful, successful. at. He actually did. Nice. He would actually get onto some of the like the Fox lot and some other place and just like wander around and watch what people were doing. Uh, eventually, he would get this unpaid internship as a film editor at Universal uh, and then went to the California State University while still dabbling in making films. So 1968, this is where his first kind of break comes in. He's been working in this unpaid internship, going to university, and Universal offers him the opportunity to write and direct a short film. This film that he makes is called Amblin, with a little apostrophe at the end. So he's ambling or ambling down the road, right? And would years later become what Spielberg's production company would be called, but without the apostrophe, Amblin Entertainment. This short, studio executives are so impressed by that they gave him a seven-year directing contract. Well, I don't really know what that means, to be honest with you, what a seven-year directing contract means in that, in that context, but that's what he gets. And then, very soon afterwards, drops out of university. Although I find it hilarious that apparently he goes back in 2002 to get his degree. A lot of people do that. <laughs> after, after, Honorary, he has like, yeah. after he has like two Oscars and like massive wow. box off success okay. and stuff. But. Check the box, right? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, did it. Box. A lot of uh, sports, in the old days anyways, a lot of sports athletes did that with mm -hmm. the scholarships of college when they were pulling them out of school before they graduated. Once they retired, mm -hmm. they would go get... The degree the and degree. lose all their money to gambling and debt, but that's a right, whole other right. yeah, problem. So first up was directing segments for the pilot episode of Night Gallery, the Rod Serling follow-up to the Twilight Zone. And then while trying to raise funds to film his own feature films, he'd basically spend time directing episodes of television. This is where I get the sense of probably Universal was just asking him to go and direct episodes of their properties. Uh, the two big ones, Marcus Welby, MD, and Columbo, are the only two I kind of recognize, to be honest. Each new project, at least this is according to lore, so I would put like maybe a heavy asterisk next to this, but he got to tr you know try something different every time he made something, so he was like adding to his craft, and 
the uh, producers became increasingly impressed with what they were seeing him make out of like little budgets. So then Universal approaches him again and gives him a contract to direct four made-for-TV movies. The first was Duel, although it would become the second to be released. Uh, the name of the game came out a couple of months before this, but I think that was on NBC, where Duel was made for ABC. It was his secretary, Nona Tyson, who brought the short story from Playboy to his attention, uh, which if you read this little report that I did online, it is pretty funny because he's like, why is my secretary handing me a Playboy magazine? <laughs> uh, but apparently, like, this uh, Nona Tyson was like, Spielberg basically credits her with starting his career in many ways because she was his like third secretary in two years or something like that, but like was so in tune with what his tastes were that she always gave him stuff like, yeah, no, this is exactly what I want to make and what I want to do. Gives him the short story for Duel. Initially, of course, this was bought to be released on television as part of the ABC movie of the week. For a short time, this important block of time on the ABC network that would make essentially 40 original films released throughout the week in my opinion, kind of just randomly in the schedule, if you look at what their, rela what their release dates are, different days of the week at different times, like it just was kind of like <laughs> there to plunk in. Sometimes if it was a two-parter, it would release like one on a Wednesday, one on the Thursday following it sort of thing, so you could see both parts. That's what this podcast needs. More cliffhanger. By just doing a perusal of the titles, because this went on for about seven seasons of this ABC movie of the week, and when you make... 40 original films over that time frame. It's, a lot. it's like 270 or something like that. A lot of these were excuses to make a pilot for a new TV show. Like that's kind of what they were being made for. It was like, it's a movie, but in the hopes that this is going to become a TV show. The most famous one being Starsky and Hutch. So Starsky and Hutch started as a made for TV movie that then got spun off onto a TV show. Except for some small exceptions, it also looks like these starred people who were either one, coming at the end of their careers, or like just starting out in Hollywood. <laughs> so in both cases, people that they could get for cheap. Now, the biggest reason for this series and some similar ones on other networks was it was started in the first place because movie studios were terrified of television, but simultaneously dismissive of it. So they charged these really high fees to show popular movies on network TV. Cheap B movies they would happily just almost like give to the TV studios, which is why, you know, there's so many fans of like old horror and sci-fi films because that's what played on late night tv the networks wanted movies to be something people could enjoy at home and so abc started their movie of the week and because these movies of the week were looked at as a bit more expensive episodes of television they needed to work on a television schedule so here's the other wild thing this movie duel it was given 13 days to film the entire thing and 10 days to edit it before it was released onto tvs amazing that is so bonkers fast for $450,000 <laughs> that it kind of blows me away that it's actually as good as it is. They were able to hit that deadline. It was a much different time, of course, back in 1971, but 33% of the entire television audience watched this the night that it came on. And because of the positive reaction, Universal decided to release it theatrically, but because initially it was only 72 minutes long to fit into the 90-minute movie slot so they could play commercials for the other 18 minutes, uh, they needed to shoot additional material. So Spielberg comes back, brings back Dennis Weaver to record some additional setup information, and 
to get it up to that 90-minute runtime, which they then released in the theaters. Spielberg specifically wanted Dennis Weaver because he had seen him, he had been such a fan of him and Orson Welles as a touch of evil. And luckily, uh, Weaver was totally game to come on and do it. I mean, it was only a two-week commitment, so it wasn't like a full movie commitment, so that might be part of it. Got a great reaction from audiences and critics at the time, and thus began Spielberg's career, which would grow until 1975's Jaws. And that movie would basically change the industry, and then he'd continue to be a box office draw into basically the early 2000s, and I might even argue until present day, because I am actually very excited for his West Side Story that's coming out later this year. So uh, that is a very quick overview of this movie. What do you have to say about that, Dave? I don't know. I mean, we've already fanboyed a lot. If you watch movies, you will love at least more than five Spielberg films. <laughs> it's impossible <laughs> well, not to. It's It's weird because, I mean, going back to that snobbiness a little bit, I have been seeing, and again, maybe this is just the wrong places to look for it, but either on Reddit or on like film Twitter, I get this increasing sense by a lot of people that's like, uh, Spielberg, like he only makes these like little trite, like feel good movies. And like, he's actually not that good of a filmmaker. Like, I feel like there's this bit of a pushback that I've been recently seeing. I mean, I think you can make that comment on some of his films of being like, this is a little bit pat and trite and, and that sort of thing. But like to say he's a, bad technician i just think is completely up to lunch i just i don't know how else to frame that response this, this is our uh, initial preamble modern so-called film critics hate films and there's something indicative of our culture in that that it's more important to be the loudest than it is to have a, a grounded opinion about something or a passion about uh, some right. field of expertise uh, we see that in photography too there's more energy in people yelling about what photography isn't than uh, talking about what photography is. Sure, sure. And um, if you look back and say, like even us, you know, we watch Clockwork and we're like, is there, and we watch Eyes Wide Shut, it's like, is there something fundamentally wrong with Kubrick? Yeah. I mean, he's clearly <laughs> insane, but you can't deny that he was an incredible director. You can't. Whatever his perversions and his uh, direction are ethically, uh, he makes incredible well, movies. I mean, even this year, the Straw Dogs conversation was the biggest example. That's like, I hate what this movie is doing, but it's done so fucking well. Yeah. And it makes me mad that it's done so well. And that's the thing about uh, all of this. I mean, yeah, we get, we get some hate and there'd be people who are critical of the conversations we have. But, you know, when a person tries in any field to actually create or build something, they'll have a more rounded opinion than someone who lives to just break everything down into pieces. So that's why I don't go on Twitter anymore. I mean, that's probably a good idea. I mean, there's two things that jump from there because I, I never wanted to make it seem like what my argument is like, we must hold every previous filmmaker in such high esteem and we can never say anything bad about them. That's not really my point, but I think that you do coming with a balanced approach of like, okay, this is what they did well. And this is what no longer holds up anymore is a much more interesting conversation that everything they've done is bad. <laughs> that just doesn't seem like a very nuanced approach to, to a conversation. Uh, at the same time, I think looking at people's like entire catalog of films, you start to pick up certain things that a, that they're interested in or, uh, things that they want to focus on and specifically there is there are quite a few different like spielberg isms that are in this movie they're just so interesting to say like you were like what 26 or something like that or when you made this movie and this feels like such a more confident filmmaker than like yeah this is basically my first movie that i'm making uh first feature-length movie that i'm making he was just born for it 
I don't know. It's one of those mythical things. We shouldn't promote that sort of talk, but it's like George Lucas. We talked about THX. I mean, whether he's actually a director or not, when you watch THX, he's born with a vision. There's just something about the way he consumes information and then wants to uh, share it. The scope is huge. You know, uh, I'm cutting together our uh, our views and re-watching some of the trailers and videos of the film we watched with THX. And same thing with Spielberg or with, uh, I can't remember if there's another one, but when you watch some of these uh, auteurs, they just see things that we don't see. And right. to understand how to understand how a camera works. So Spielberg, I was watching this film and I don't know what type of lenses he uses, but there's just yeah. something that he uh, is so comfortable with because I'm not, I don't know, maybe you know better. Is it the same? I don't think it's the same DP that works in all his films. I think this is something he does. Well, later on, he would have like recurring people he worked with. Right. But- so it's just maybe how he storyboards stuff or how he just, how he sees the world. It's fascinating. I, you know? I think so. It, it has to be because I know like part of this would be like script stuff versus like him having an idea. But this is going back to that storytelling, like what I crave even in modern filmmaking is like, Sometimes people just aren't even able to give like that proper like, oh, set something up, pay it off later on. Yeah. The greatest example of that is the fucking radiator hose, right? It's like it's brought up like, ah, you're just trying to sell me a radiator hose. And honestly, as an, as an audience, it's like, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't see what the person's looking at, but it could be them just trying to sell him a radiator hose until you get later on like, nope, that radiator hose was actually about to go. And now he's in trouble because he can't get up this hill. Even if you're a cynic, like watching it today and you're like, well, clearly the radi- radiator hose is going to play a part because we all get twists now because we're all so intelligent. What's incredible about this film, it's, we, I think, I don't remember what movie we were talking about, but the rewatchability, it doesn't matter if you know the radi- radiator hose right. is going to break. It is still so like, when it does, you're like, oh my fucking God, he's going to die. He's finally going <laughs> to die, right? Uh, that's yeah. storytelling. That's narrative building. You know, and, and it's a dumb story and it's still so effective, right? <laughs> I know, that's the, that's the thing about it. It's such a dumb story to like set your entire action on. It's like, it's just this killer truck that you never see the driver. And he's just like this like, ghost vehicle that wanders the California highways. Just his arm to tell him to pass that he can try to kill him again from the, the front. The, instead the, the brown of from the cowboy rear. boots, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, this is a great film. I think people should watch this. It's yeah, weird. I, I, I agree. It's, I don't want this to just to be like, fun and praise the entire episode so i'm going to come back to talking about some of these other positive things i have written down well i couldn't stop thinking about and i understand again why it wasn't this was made for tv they probably had in-house musicians but i thought of spielberg's longtime collaborator and being like man i would have loved if john williams had done the score <laughs> to this movie can you imagine <laughs> I, I mean he would never have come to tv to do that but and I only bring that up because I, I find the music in this pretty unremarkable. I didn't even realize there was music in it. Yeah. There's, there's, but I'm just thinking like, I feel, and I'm not a musician, but you have like this great moment of like that big, heavy car horn that you hear every so often of just like making your entire theme around that car horn and some of the cool things you could have done with that. Anyways, it's just something that I noticed. Like when I go back to quote unquote early Spielberg films from Jaws onwards, like the music is always like stellar. And it's like, this one's like, man. I thought the blood looked like really super extra fake in this for whatever reason. Well, it's four hundred fifty thousand dollars. I had to buy that truck. I mean, you need to get up to a full half million before you can get realistic looking blood. Actually, no. Everyone knows that. That was probably the best they could do in seventy one, as we're discovering. Uh, It was still the era of uh, bright red liquid Mm -hmm. dye and gun wounds being small little uh, dots on people's faces. And as we 
get into the macabre nature of grotesque filmmaking. I just watched Kate, and some of the deaths in that are uh, gruesome, man. Too (laughs) realistic. Yeah, you're just like, oh, that is what might happen if I shoved a Glock in somebody's throat. (laughs) That's my opening move on a first date. I need need the fatalities from Mortal Kombat. Just the ludicrous... looking things i you know it's weird i didn't watch the film that just came out the uh, whatever installment uh it's not good yeah when that video game came out it was so controversial and now i just feel like nobody cares because we see much worse stuff now on on television and and movies we're so desensitized we are it's it's well i mean you talking about the simpsons i had people i grew up with that could not watch it because it was too filthy and like (laughs) It's hilarious to go back now when, like, not a single bad word is said on that show. No. You weren't allowed. Um, yeah, you weren't allowed. The other, I know you brought up the voiceover as being something you liked. I actually did not like the voiceover in this movie. Uh, I, I could have probably done with some of it, but some of it was, I thought, a bit too on the nose. Like, so, for instance, I like the ones where it's like, maybe I'm overreacting to this. Maybe maybe I'm just reading too much into the situation, which is like, that's exactly what would be going through my mind. It's like, maybe I'm making it up that he's trying to, like, play play around with me but then it would be other things like i wish i could remember an exact line but being like very on the nose like yeah yeah like i i've been watching the movie i like i know <laughs> this is what you would be thinking here it's like i've got to get up this hill i've got to get up this hill i'm like yeah i know you have to get up this hill <laughs> I, I can see what's happening so that that's the kind of stuff like i would just you know cut all that stuff out yeah i i was just thinking i don't know if you could cut it out entirely but maybe it should have just been throughout the whole film you know, like even yeah. when he's driving at the beginning and listening to this radio show, it it's hard. Voiceovers are always a complex problem because, yeah, you're either uh, pontificating too much and, yeah, too on the nose or it's too abstract and distracting. Yeah. Well, that's why there's always been know. that great debate around Blade Runner, right? Of whether you prefer the voiceover version or the non-voiceover version. It's, and yeah. I'm, the, I'm the non-voiceover version. but no, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think it's on the day for me. Yeah. Um, but what I liked when it appeared, not the, when it first started, I was like, oh, I don't even, why is his mouth not moving? It is so strange. Mm. But by the middle portion and the final third, I was like, it's so important to understand how panicked he is. And it's very hard, especially for a presumably low budget, but for a made for TV uh, film to make sure the audience understands that this is not just two guys yelling at each other out of a window. I mean, this guy's yeah. uh, scared. For his life. Yeah, scared yeah. for his life. Yeah. And that's a, I don't know, I thought it was an important choice. Was it perfect? No, but uh, I think it was necessary. But I like his like playing chicken with the, the, the truck at the very end there and forcing him to go off the cliff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, everyone, for this 50 year old movie. I have a bone to pick. This is like this little <laughs> plot thing. I understand that he might be late to this appointment that he's trying to get to, you know, scared about this truck that's stalking him. But if I spun out of control and broke somebody's fence, at the very least, I'd offer to help fix them or give them some money to fix it. And he just like pieces out. It's like, well, I'm on the road again. City folk. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I I was thinking the exact same thing. And then I thought, well, that that farmer doesn't give a shit. So I'm sure they're fine. He's just standing there staring at him. He's just a simple man. Um, He does simple things. I thought that too. It's funny because that's just how we're raised maybe it's a canadian thing I, I have no idea but when the city slicker crashed into the fence all i could think about was like isn't he gonna at least drop him a dime like you gotta <laughs> yeah something give him your phone number right i mean i know it's not your fault you were run off the road but 
do something. Um, I do like that he uh, suffered a concussion. I mean, at least that was you realistic. You tell, like, he is he was doing bre- bad. breaking down, yeah. His progression to this movie, I think, is just fascinating. It's great, isn't it? You know, it's, it's set up as him feeling emasculated from home. You see that feeling when he phones his wife. Even the fact that he didn't stand up for her the night before at that party. Like, it's seated in super early. It's like, he's feeling emasculated. His wife is emasculating him, at least in his impression. This driver seems to throw him off. He tries to confront the guy at the diner and fails miserably at it. Hey, just, you know, cut it out, you know. <laughs> like, just can't even like, dogs, form man. an argument. Yeah, it's the same, the same conceptual thing. And then finally he's able to run him off the road and blow him up, and now he's a man. Like, that yeah. is... <laughs> well, and much like Straw Dogs, the end sequence is not him celebrating. I mean, he's just broken. There's nothing... Mm. There's nothing. I mean, he's gonna die on that mountain. Nobody even well, knows where he is. Like right? he, he don't. No one knows where he is. I don't think he's anywhere near anybody in no. civilization. He was driving on that road, and nobody was coming the other way. So it's like, uh, you're in bad shape there, bud. And that's like you talked about. You know, our need currently in pop culture, anyway, for closure and sequels. What's great about this film, Straw Dogs? We we complain about it because just a little too cynical, but they're just left out. To, to die essentially and they're just like yeah this is reality yeah, but, S- sniff some yeah. more lead who gives a fuck what yeah, happens to this fuck guy fuck you <laughs> lights up everyone <laughs> yeah what you could do is reveal that the truck driver this entire time is french and he climbs out of the wreckage of his truck and Suck it's called it. duh l <laughs> that's what the sequel would be called i i uh i had a moment where i thought maybe the whole thing's a hallucination and, yeah, uh, yeah, there's that. Which I hate because I hate those reveals at the end of yeah, things. Yeah. But he's still in the uh, car. Yeah. Not to say like hallucination, but it was all a dream. It's yeah. Like, okay. Well, what's the opposite of sweet dreams? Because that's what I'm experiencing right now. The other thing I really liked, again, as far as like seeding information, is just a, as a sense of time. I love that they have like you know Chuck's Diner and whatever it's like seven miles or five miles away. And then the whole sequence happens. I'm like going up and down, trying to pass each other, et cetera. And he like goes out of control, crashes through that fence and you're in front of trucks now. I was like, okay, that's such an interesting way to like play with like, okay, this is how long that time frame kind of was. And like, yeah, if I was going five miles being pursued by this truck, like I'd be like sweating and like hyperventilating. Like, okay, I need it. I need a break. (laughs) Like I can't get back out on the road here anymore. Yeah. That's visual storytelling. Mm -hmm. So good at that. Oh, the only last thing I have to say. So that bus scene where he's, where it's like, obviously his car is not going to be able to push that bus, but whatever. Um, well, he knew. Yeah. It's yeah. like, why are you getting me to do this? The way, I don't know if you picked up on this, the way that the bus driver peeks his head around the corner of the bus slayed me. I fucking loved it. He's like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> like, what, what, what are you up to? Yeah. Anyway, some great little visual stuff that goes on there too. Yeah, I don't know. I liked it. I mean, is it revolutionary? I don't think so, but I but I liked it. It was a good movie. Yeah, it was uh, surprisingly fun. It's taut, right? It's taut. It's Plays thrilling. with tension really well. Um, and good payoff. I, I'll probably return to this, honestly. I'll probably watch this again sometime in the future. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I, I don't uh, go and own these things, yeah. but if ever there was an opportunity and someone says, oh, what's this dual thing? I'm going to rent it or like, you know... Nobody goes over to anybody's house anymore because of viruses. But you know, they're like, "Oh, you know, I rented this weird movie." Nobody rents stuff anywhere. Look, this is streaming on. Uh, <laughs> I'm lo- I've lost my context. Somehow, I've, somehow <laughs> the algorithm has stumbled into my face hole. I'm watching Duel. I was watching uh, the Apple announcement, and you can like co-watch films together. Helen's like, "You and Kyle yeah. should do this." I was like, "So we're co-watching." <laughs> 
duel <laughs> over streaming. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is that kids are going to do these days, uh, I would say yes to. I would click mm-hmm. OK because uh, I'll totally watch this again. It's fun. I was gritting my teeth, but not in an angry way. It was just... Uh, it's just exciting. We're done here. All right. Well, the machine has said that we have to wrap this up. So I guess first we should ask the ever important question. Does this hold up and is it still culturally relevant? Uh, for me, it does on both. Uh, but again, I, you know, I'm a little biased because uh, I'm a road rager. So this was a great thing for me to kind of sit through and be like, holy shit. I, oh my God. I should have been in this situation. I should have had a truck. I've had trucks yell at me before. <laughs> it is interesting to watch this movie so soon after watching THX mm. because, you know, both like kind of best friends, their first movies come out here in 1971. And at least for, for me, and I know for you, for THX, I don't think that movie holds up. No. I, I think you could argue it has a bit of cultural influence as far as like the name recognition and stuff but as a film i don't think it holds up whereas this one is so fascinating to me because i think it does i honestly think a modern audience could watch this film and still enjoy it so i really definitely enjoyed that as far as cultural relevance goes i didn't write all of these down but the amount of other pieces of media that have referenced duel is pretty staggering meaning like uh sorry in in uh, Grand Theft Auto 5, there is a mission you run that is exactly this movie, <laughs> where there's a truck that is chasing you. It, it's modeled after this truck that is a very specific send-up of this film, save within the video game Driver. But then in films, the the anime film Lupin the Third, The Mystery of Momo, parodies Duel, there is a, the truck is seen in the film Torque, whether it was, oh, the film Joyride from 2001 is definitely influenced by Duel because it's basically a similar thing. There is the film Throttle from 2005 where an actor is made to look like Dennis Weaver driving the Red Plymouth <laughs> that he drives in this movie. Uh, and that isn't going into like television, print, music actually has some references to this film by using like uh, audio clips and stuff as well. I, I guess going back again to THX, I think people watch THX because George Lucas's name is on it and there's no other reason to watch that movie. Whereas Drive, I think people should watch this movie. Even though it wasn't made by Spielberg, I think that there's interesting stuff for you to, uh, to pick up on. Yes. What says you, Dave? Well, yeah. I, George Lucas made a film that uh, was a student film. Maybe it's... We, maybe we see that his passion is not in developing uh yeah this visual storytelling his passion mm-hmm. was something different it, it was aesthetic beauty and uh, you know something different and spielberg's a storyteller he's a novelist right i i think that's right i think spielberg is the filmmaker lucas is the producer yes right so and you can really see what their interests lay or where their interests are as their careers progress but i think that is what the big difference is here spielberg was interested in learning techniques and understanding film language and utilizing that in his art and lucas was like i'm gonna make this but i really want to make money well i think too was... not that spielberg isn't interested in money but no i mean yeah, i think he's like the richest man in hollywood but i think yeah. that um you know what makes a great storyteller is respect for the audience and i think mm-hmm. that you know a lot of artist artists if you want to call it you know the ones that live in caves they only want to build things that they understand in context but spielberg and we could maybe accuse him of being a populist in this sense he's acutely aware that he has an audience this it's performative so it makes him a good storyteller because 
he's having a conversation with you in this film. So the story is so dumb, but I'm I'm involved in every moment. I feel either like I am Dennis Weaver's character or that I've been in a similar situation or have to ask myself what I would do. And those are fascinating, uh, innate talents that Spielberg has. And if you look at all his films, whether you like them or not, he's very good at that. I mean, it's his, it's his uh, superpower that any of his films mm-hmm. you watch, you immediately are involved, whether you, whether you have a good conversation with it or not. And uh, with George Lucas, you know, I, you know, I hate the prequels, but I think that's where the prequels failed is he didn't have respect for his audience. That was just him putting shit on a paper because he thought he knew better. And it's why right. Spielberg won't take Duel and put in CGI to tighten up the car or to fix a, a mistake in editing. Uh, he doesn't care because the story's out there, it's done, and he's on to make the next story. So this is a movie that even if you come for Spielberg, you'll stay because it's fun to watch. It's uh, it's a great little thing. Well, let's go to Critics' Choice here, where we take a look at what some of other critics have thought about this movie. We try and go with current ones at the time of the release of the movie. Unfortunately, both Roger Ebert and Pauline Kael did not write about this movie. However, I did pull this thing that Pauline Kael said a few years later in reference to Jaws, but I think it's a little bit applicable here too. And she says... While having a drink with an older Hollywood director, I said that I'd been amazed by the assurance with which Steven Spielberg, the young director of Jaws, had toyed with the film frame. And the older director said, he must never have seen a play. He's the first one of us who doesn't think in terms of the proscenium arch. With him, there's nothing but the camera lens. I thought that was really fascinating to think about. And I think that that might be a difference between when you see classical cinema, where it does feel like it's a play, but it's in stage. front of a camera, yeah. uh, where it's like, no, I can push the camera lens into different areas and film it that way. You know what the Spielbergness of this film, those moments, it's the the pans and like mm-hmm. shooting through the, like you said, the, the laundry uh, machine door or even when- The steering just, wheel or- Yeah, even just before the, the lady comes in to open the door- the way he's standing uh, to take the call in the door frame, these are photog- yes. that's a photographer's eye. He he has an idea of what a camera, how a camera interacts with its environment, as opposed to being obsessed with what's happening with the actors, etc. And when to sh- and then when to reveal things too. I love yeah. the when he's walking through the diner and then he turns and then there's the truck in the window. And it's like okay, there we go. And that's the thing about getting involved in this film. You know, as it could fall back kind of like uh, Red Sun or, 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 or the Bond films, you know, they're kind of held back either by how they depict technology or just the, the staid ways in which they mm-hmm. uh, set up the shots. But every moment in this, you feel like you're in it, like even you're shooting inside the car and you know, using the, the side view mirrors to see the uh, reflection of the truck that's oncoming. To be able to accomplish that on a low budget and as his first film the so-called i mean it's just because he's good at it mm-hmm. it's it's something it sounds so dumb though it's like you know spielberg is kind of good at directing movies it's like such a dumb I'm, thing well, to say but i mean in yeah, the I context know. that he's never uh, you know done it before 1971 you see that he was going to transcend movie making exciting it was exciting to watch Here's what two other critics said. I just got these off of rotten tomatoes so from 2007 david kerr of the chicago reader says This made-for-TV movie was one of Steven Spielberg's auditions for Jaws, and the same slickly impersonal shock effects prevail. (laughs) Wow. 
I like as soon as you started the tone, I was like, this is not gonna go well. <laughs> I know that was that was me maybe editorializing a little bit too much, but he did not like the movie. Impersonal shock effects. So I mean, in two thousand two though. Mean? <laughs> fucking idiot. Okay. Two thousand two Empire magazine. Duel achieves the frantic energy and striking simplicity of silent film. Ironically, considering its small screen origins, it is pure cinema. Impersonal shock effects prevail versus it's pure cinema. Those are the two completely opposite ends of the spectrum, I know, but... I like. I just want to put this underneath that. Like, I don't want to sound fanboyish that nobody should have a negative, like people shouldn't have a yeah. negative response, but what does that mean? Impersonal <laughs> shock effect? Like, what is... How... What does that I, mean? It's such I, a... I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, again, I think this is sometimes a criticism that Spielberg gets that he is... Um, All flash and no... Uh, yeah, exactly. No substance behind his films. And I just, I don't know. I just fundamentally disagree with that interpretation weird, of eh? most of his stuff. Yeah. But I, I mean, it is out there. A lot of people feel that way, that they don't feel any response to Spielberg's films. Again, I'm the right age, so I grew up with them. So, of course, I do have a little bit of nostalgia to it. But. Well, I'll put it this way. I mean, I know it's gore, but my son couldn't sit through the first 10 minutes of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I know that um, I, my brother told me that his kids who are like 12 now laughed watching Aliens because they think yeah. it's so cheesy. I suspect, I, I could be wrong, I'll ask them when I'm in Toronto, but I think they'd like uh, Spielberg films because there's something, it's different, you know? I yeah. love Aliens. We grew up on Aliens. When I rewatch some of that stuff, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's still good because of the nostalgia, but yeah. uh, you know, really Scott's stuff other than Blade Runner, even Blade Runner's not universally acclaimed anymore, but- no. You know, I, I have a deep I mean, it seated. wasn't at the time either, to yeah, be perfectly I, frank. I love that movie. But I, I think, you know, you show a kid E.T., they're still going to get into it, you know? It's it's just something, something about mm -hmm. it. So, anybody who thinks that there's no substance underneath the style uh, needs to check themselves. Yeah. They need yeah. to check themselves. I am currently wrecking myself. Well, that's what Dave and I thought. So what do you think? You can send any feedback to Kyle and Dave VS the machine at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter or Instagram with the handle KDVSTM. And if you want to see the entire list of films we've watched and the ratings we've given, you can go to our letterboxed page letterbox.com slash kdvstm if you want to support us monetarily so that we can continue doing this podcast and not usher in the apocalypse you can go to our patreon page there's a link in the show notes of this episode you can support for as low as a dollar per month something that you can do for absolutely free is to leave a rating and review on whatever app you use for podcasts well let's get to the rating of this movie here dave what would you give it out of five i'm scared i feel like I'm doubting how high of a number I should go here <laughs> because uh, just looking back at some of the scores that I've uh, uh, sparingly doled this year, I don't want to go too over the top, but uh, to be honest with you, Kyle, I, I really like this movie and I might go as high as, I was thinking like a four even. I, I would definitely watch this again. I, mean, I, wouldn't, I don't know if I would own it. I did own French Connection, but I... Yeah, I think I'll go with a four. That's very optimistic on my point, but yeah, um, yeah, I think people should What's watch. What's it like this. being so positive, Dave? I feel sick. Actually, I feel <laughs> I feel a little tense and nervous about it, and I already regret it. So, well, well there you go, Dave. It feels like it's 1999 again <laughs> because <laughs> I think we're the first time this year. Maybe I don't know. I'm going to say for the first time this year of 1971, we were bang on with the same exact. Ooh rating so i'm We're giving back. it a four too i We're think it's strong again yeah um of course i'm rating this against other spielberg movies too in my mind so it's like yeah it's definitely not the best or in that top level but yeah it's solid that does mean dave that it ties with one movie Ooh. 
It is going to be in our top five right mm. now. I will tell you that. Do you think this is better or worse than Duck You Sucker? Better. I like Duck You Sucker's scope, but I, I think I was a little bit different than you and uh, Sarah. Uh, some of the little cheesy nuances drew me back from that, but the scope's bigger than this film. But I just think it is. Duels, it was just a tight, fun movie for me. So I would put it over. Yeah, I mean, I gave a better rating to Duck You Sucker, to be honest. But if I was to pull back and was asked the question in different ways, like which film does what it's trying to do better yeah i do think duels like it is yes a made for tv movie about a dumb (laughs) semi truck chasing a small car but it commits to that concept and i think it does it extremely well so i have no problem dave this is where we start to get letters probably coming into us (laughs) i i guess i don't really know what the critical consensus of of duel is currently but um ron tomato had it in the 80s so there's some there's some backing Entering our list at the number three position is Duel. What's sorry? What's over Duel right now? Fiddler, Harold, and Maude. Mm. All right. I think French Connection should be higher too, but you, uh, you and Matt well, were a bit stale is, on it. Uh. It's too, too below. Yeah. It's too below. By the way, that uh, if people are keeping uh, tabs at home, Dave is well above the two mark now. Ooh. So you're at two point one nine as your up. average. I've warmed up to the seventies. That's right. Uh, I guess we should see what we are watching here next week. Just gonna push this button. Oh boy, I only know this because I heard this title recently as one of like the proto horror films yeah. of the seventies that would lead eventually into the slasher genre. Gross. We're going to watch Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Oh, my God. And our lead up here to the spooky season of Halloween here in October. So let's scare Jessica to death is next week. I'll just reiterate. I hate horror movies. So this is going to be great. This is a horror movie, Dave. Yeah, this is is a psychological thriller. We argued about this with uh, Play Misty for me. But yeah, uh, yeah. I think that was more of a slasher flick than this thing was. I don't know. What do you you think we should do? Do we just want to like stop all of a sudden to try and shake him off? or, Or what do we do? You know, what we'll do is you take this uh, block and put it on. Does a ship have pedals or do we use the uh, crystalline? I can't remember. Is it a crystalline uh, thing no, we no, push no, down for power? There's there's pedals and Wait, buttons and switches. Is the blob chasing us in another craft or on foot? Yeah, it's like a little spaceship. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have feet, Dave. Have you checked our radiator hose? Oh. I think that's that's the ticket so we can go faster. Yeah. All right. I, I'm just I'm trying to go down to the engine room. Yeah. I'll stay in the cockpit. Gross. Do spaceships have radiators? <laughs> I'm about to find out, Dave. I am currently wrecking myself. <laughs>